today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Interesting developments and some concerning developments uh, in the war in Ukraine uh, with the accusations back and forth between the Russians and Ukraines uh, about accusing each other, essentially, of planning to attack one of the world's largest nuclear power plants. Uh, neither side is providing any proof to that claim, though. Charles de Ledesma has the story for us. The Zaporizhia plant is located in southeastern Ukraine and occupied by Russian troops. Citing intelligence reports, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says Moscow's troops had placed objects resembling explosives on the roof of several power units there. He said the objects could be used to simulate a false flag attack. In Russia, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov adds Moscow's making every effort to counter a great threat of sabotage by Ukraine. Russia occupied the plant in the early stages of the war, and over the past year, both sides have repeatedly accused each other of shelling the facility. I'm Charles Dilatesma. Uh, and that's, I guess, typical of the back and forth that's going on between the two of them now. Misinformation, that old cliche comes into mind here. The first casualty in war is the truth. Uh, and that never seems more evident than it is now. To try to get some perspective on this, please to welcome back to the program, Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. Elliot, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for the time today. Uh, thank you, Bill. I've been well, in, I want to talk a, a bit go ahead. hiatus, so it's good to be back with you. It's good to be back, because there's a lot gone on since you've begun. Uh, and I want to talk about some of the battlefield things that have happened. But first of all, what about this back and forth here? Uh, I mean, it, it seems to me one of these guys is lying and the other is, is not, I guess. Uh, but it, uh, to blow up a nuclear plant or attack it like this, uh, th there's no strategic benefit to this. It's really uh, do this and, and have somebody else take the blame for it. That seems to be the rationale here. Yes, the Russians took control of Europe's largest nuclear power plant in March, right after they began their invasion, and they've occupied it ever since. They've been relying on the Ukrainian staff to maintain it under great duress, and all but one of the six nuclear reactors, basically, in fact, all six, basically have been closed down, uh, and only a single electrical line has been available to maintain the cooling of the uh, in the cooling pod so that there wasn't an accidental release of radiation. One of my main concerns, you and I, I think, have talked about it many times, of the entire Russian invasion is the whole nuclear question. And that breaks down into two-part tactical nuclear weapons. Uh, would Putin actually use them? And we can talk about that to Mr. Xi Jinping in a few minutes. But yep. the other is the re release, accidentally or not, of radiation from these closed down nuclear uh, power plants that really has come to the fore in the, in the last few days as you pointed out in your intro because uh, the russians are saying oh the the ukrainians are going to attack that and release radiation that to me immediately raised alarm bells because it's the kind of tactic they use they intend to do that and they intend to blame later the ukrainians for doing so ukraine has said no it is a false flag possibility and that they have detected the mining, the mining of a couple of those plants, several of those plants, and particularly on the roofs, in order to blow a hole in the roofs and then say that it was artillery shells from Ukraine that did it, and the releases of radiation, therefore, is you know, all Ukraine's fault. This would be consistent, unfortunately, with the Russian efforts to block the effectiveness of Ukraine's counteroffensive by destruction, as they did earlier, the, the, the major dam, the Kokakva Dam, flooding huge areas, flooding the, um, they, they, hope, they hope they know which way the wind blows, 
bill, flooding uh, uh, perhaps much of Ukraine and parts of Europe with radiation leak and blaming it on blaming it on the Ukrainians. So it is a very perilous situation. The head of the Atomic Energy Commission, Grossi, has been there numerous several times saying, let's make a deal. Let's demilitarize uh, this whole area. Let's create a zone around this plant, which everybody agrees it's just too dangerous to have as a military base. And uh, the Ukrainians have said, look, they're using it as a base. Now we think they have machine gun nests on the top. So it is a very perilous situation. Lately, most recently, the rhetoric seems to be toning down, however. What's going on on the ground? It, it, we got reports earlier, Elliot, that the uh, uh, Ukrainians had made some pretty strong advances with their counteroffensive. Uh, the Russians have pushed back in a couple of areas right now, and I think what it does is underscores, uh, I think what you classified as, as the, the Achilles heel of the Ukrainian offensive, uh, air power. Uh, Russians are always going to beat them in air power, and I, they, they seem to be doing that effectively. Yes, the situation on the ground is that we have, we have, in a sense, something of a deadline looming because the uh, NATO summit is coming on the 11th and 12th in, in Lithuania. Uh, would there be sufficient evidence of a dramatic advance by Ukraine to justify NATO maintaining the kind of support that it has given? And that puts a lot of pressure on Ukraine. And we started out, uh, you and I, I think, discussing this a while ago that, you know, it's not really an act, a single act, when you go on counter-offensive. Uh, counter it's a process, and that process is well underway. There's criticism it's going too slowly. Not huge swaths of uh, territory have been gained. The, Russian, the Ukrainians respond with this. They say, look, what we're really doing is degrading the Russian capacity by firing behind the lines and blowing up communications and munitions dumps, and quote, a war of destruction is equal to a war of kilometers. So basically back off with the complaint that it's going too slowly. We're doing the best we can with what you've got, uh, what we've been provided. But please provide us with a lot more. The head of the Ukrainian defense has said uh, in a very candid interview, very unusual, saying it's just great. It was in the Washington Post. It's just great what the West has been providing us in terms of weapons. But you don't give us the air cover, and both NATO doctrine and American and uh, NATO doctrine and American doctrine says you don't go into a war without effective control of the air, and you will not give us what we need for effective control of the air. What do you expect us to do? Fight them with bows and arrows? I'm paraphrasing slightly there, but that's what he said. So the Russians uh, continue to have air superiority, and most importantly, they can always pound Ukraine from a farther distance then Ukraine can uh, reach with the kind of weapons they have now. Repeatedly and over and over again, Ukraine keeps saying, please give us the longer range material that we need in order to ad adequately conduct this counteroffensive. And that's kind of the state of play. Well, today we understand that President Zelensky's in Istanbul meeting with Erdogan. Uh, right. I got to figure that that thing about air power and, and a couple of other things are going to be on the agenda. But also, I would imagine a, a much broader lesson to take to that NATO meeting next week. Yes, the two things on, I think, primarily for President Zelensky, and it's an important meeting. They are meeting in person. And President Zelensky is actually touring quite a bit these days, meeting leaders. Yes, uh, there's two things on that agenda. One is to maintain the grain deal. Remember, Turkey broke yeah. a deal to allow both Russia and Ukraine to sell 
their stores of, of wheat and uh, other supplies to the world. The world needs what's coming out of Ukraine, which has been blocked by the war. So to maintain the deal to allow at least some of that material to come out is very important. That'll be the number one item on the agenda. But also, President Zelensky will heavily lobby uh, Mr. Erdogan to stop blocking Sweden's entry into NATO. Uh, that meeting is only a week away, and there's no sign right now that Sweden will be ad admitted. And I think that'll be something of a crisis if that continues. And President Zelensky is saying, let them in. We know you have issues with them. You've been negotiating, but we need a unified NATO. So he's lobbying on behalf of, of NATO to allow Sweden to join in that summit uh, coming up in just a few days now. Al, you mentioned uh, Chinese President Xi just a few minutes ago. A uh, story earlier this week uh, that uh, Xi apparently, when they met uh, a few weeks ago, I suppose now, personally warned Vladimir Putin against the use of nuclear weapons in Ukraine. And this is just around the time uh, that we got stories about uh, missiles were being positioned in Belarus and other areas on the, the border anyway. And uh, just around the time, of course, of the, the Wagner uh, you know, insurrection, uh, the march to Moscow. Uh, and Xi basically uh, told Putin, don't do this. How much sway does he have in, in this situation? And does Putin listen to that? If anybody has sway with Mr. Putin, it's Xi Jinping. Uh, China has been, you know, officially neutral, but actually vastly uh, supporting the Russian position and leading the and leading much of the rest of the global south to also stay neutral on this, to stay out of supporting Ukraine. So they are very, very influential. They give diplomatic and economic cover to the war. The, uh, the message, I speculated, I, I think, on air with you at the time, Mr. Putin was condemned as a war criminal for the kidnapping of of Ukrainian children, and uh, a warrant for his arrest was issued. And next day, Xi Jinping shows up for a three-day meeting in Moscow with his dear close friend, Mr. Putin. And I suspect, you know, at the time, I speculated on air that perhaps he's also delivering a message about nuclear weapons. It's not in China's interest to have nuclear weapons introduced in the theater of war. Uh, that would be to their everybody's disadvantage. And now there is a report that that was the case. If anybody does have sway and can maybe put a basically a cork on the nuclear weapon in regard to the Ukrainian conflict, it would be China and Mr. Xi Jinping. Whether um, anybody can stop Putin when facing disaster from using nuclear weapons is still an open question. I got a minute or so left here. I, I would be remiss if I didn't get your read on uh, what's going on with the Wagner uh, troops. Of course, we all know about the march on Moscow, which abruptly ended a few weeks ago. Uh, we're told that their leader is back in in Russia now. I don't know what that necessarily means. I don't know if he's there by his own choice or what's going on. Uh, and we also I, I have some questions uh, that have been raised recently about the Wagner troops themselves. Uh, I, do they re-enter the combat zone as, as Russian soldiers? Are they dispersed? What, what are you hearing? Well, this is another mystery wrapped in an enigma. Uh, the reality is nobody knows factually what that deal was, nor if it's in fact still being negotiated behind the scenes. Prigozhin has been very useful to Mr. Putin in the past. I think the, um, the fact that we still don't know and the fact that Prigozhin might actually physically be within reach inside Moscow, inside Russia, and indeed maybe Moscow itself, this is an indication that there's only one conclusion you and I can draw from all of this, is that there is severe elite dissension 
within Moscow, within Russia, at the very top, because of the failed imperial adventure by Mr. Putin. Beyond that, everything else is speculation. Mr. Prigozhin's fate should be known to us any day now, any minute, really, any day now. But it is still an open question as to what that deal was, what the future will be going forward for uh, Wagner. But uh, the main bottom line here is the intra-elite dissension at the very top and the fact that Ukrainians are paying the price of all this on the battlefield. Well, yeah, because one story I saw suggested that Perjokin was actually there to, uh, to to ask for more arms to rearm his soldiers. I can't see Putin's regime uh, doing that. I mean, this is the guy that marched on 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 the Capitol just a little while ago. You're not going to give these guys another shot at it. Maybe not, but uh, an ally of one of the, if anything good comes out of this, General Armageddon, the general that is closest to Mr. Apparently, according to uh, reports to uh, to the Wagner leaders and the leadership, and might have been supporting them or knew about it in advance. Uh, he has now been apparently removed from power or might be purged. There might be a big purge coming. The removal of him from any power position, uh, an arrest by him would be the only good news to come out of all of this. Uh, he perfected the techniques that we see being used right now, the attack on civilians through war crimes. That was perfected by him in Syria. It's now being applied against Ukraine, and Ukraine is paying the cost for it as a result. So we only can speculate what happens. We know there's dissension at the top, that Mr. Putin's gamble has failed, that there's going to be continuing consequences, but it's ultimately the Ukrainians who suffer. And as uh, you told us, I think about a year and a half or so ago, uh, in, internal workings in Russia, uh, we usually don't find out until they've happened. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's not a, a situation where there's a whole lot of transparency. Elliot, great to get your thoughts on this. Thank you so much. Uh, have a great weekend, and uh, hopefully you, we'll talk again soon down the road, okay? Take care. Take care. Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University, keeping an eye on the, the Ukraine situation. And, and as Elliot reminded us, uh, the NATO meeting coming up uh, in just a few days, and uh, our Prime Minister will be there. Uh, Erdogan from Turkey will be there, too. And there's some very contentious issues vis-a-vis uh, -vis the support for uh, U Ukraine that I'm sure are going to be discussed by those leaders. Let me do a quick break. We're going to come back. Busy day today. The Bill Kelly Show continues on 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML Hamilton, brought to you by Wizens Law. If you've been seriously injured in an accident, you need somebody on your side. You need Wizens Law. 905-522-1102 or wizenslaw.com. Located at 911 Golf Links Road, Ancaster. Easy to get to and lots of free parking. Back in just a minute. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.